Rink-wide Vancouver is the Canucks blank the St. Louis Blues five to nothing. They've won three in a row and they improved to five and two through seven games early on in this National Hockey League season. Jeff and Blake here with you to break it all down and it does feel different, Blake, I have to say. I, mm-hmm. I've sort of been resisting the urge, but we're seven games in. And, of course, seven games is such a demarcation point because last year they were 0 for through their first seven games. They were 0-5-2, and here they are, a 5-2 and hockey club coming off the road. That first game back that's been a bugaboo for the Vancouver Canucks throughout their history, it was no sort of uh, stumbling block at all in this one. They were all over the Blues in the opening 20 minutes. They've slid the record one number over, if you will, brought the zero around. And you know what? I was a little bit scared, even with a 2-2 two and two record, just because of the way games 2, 3, and 4 looked. But you're right. The difference now has been consistent in the other direction in their ability to play what can only be described as a, a tidy you know, truly NHL style of game. They they reacted. They've suppressed shots now in the last few games. I mean, my goodness, the first period was a Mona Lisa. They'll want to frame that one and remind themselves that they're capable of playing a period like that. Um, that's a different looking hockey team than what we saw for most of the season last year. And now the last couple, you put the last road game in Nashville and this one together to different venues, to different circumstances, and yet very same kind of professional result. It has to be very heartening for Canucks fans. Are they all going to be like this on home ice? All of them. All, all of them, the yes. Whole, yeah. The 8-1 win against the Oilers, backed up by a 5 nothing. They've outscored their opponents 13-1 to <laughs> at Rogers Arena. And, of course, they got the Rangers coming in on Saturday. But when you get a big lead like they had going to the third period, you can spread ice time. You can play the wheels off some of your guys lower in the lineup and save your superstars. That's so, right. really, just about everything went right for the Vancouver Canucks. And that's what we're here to talk about is this 5 nothing victory over the Blues. Rink-wide Vancouver, a presentation of Bodog, Canada's choice for casino games, poker tips, and sports odds. You just look at the numbers in that first period. They outshoot the Blues 19 to 3. The shot attempts were 35 to 4 in all situations. That included a handful of power plays. That was part of the storyline coming into this game as well. That the Canucks just weren't drawing many power plays and weren't getting many opportunities to work with the man advantage. That changed early in this hockey game at evens, though. The shot attempts were 23 to 3. The biggest surprise through all of that is that it was only one nothing for the Vancouver Canucks. So give Jordan Bennington a ton of credit. His team had played the night before. He had the night off, so he was ready to go. I uh, can't say the same for the teammates in front of him, but uh, the Vancouver Canucks, I think, sensed an opportunity here to pounce on a St. Louis team that played in Calgary one night before, and did they ever. And again, just the one goal coming off the stick of Quinn Hughes, uh, one of two for him on the night. He's up to three now on the season but it was just the the sheer volume of territory and zone time that the Canucks had in that opening period. And there was a little bit of a flurry at the very end, and that was the scuttlebutt amongst us, too, as we were watching, was it's only one nothing. Yeah. Don't let them get a late goal here and have, again, what I would qualify as a Mona Lisa of a period, end up with you tied. Um, so it was disappointing that it was only one nothing. The important thing was to not let them come out and tie it up and feel like they're actually in the game. And I thought that the St. Louis did come out quite nicely in the second period. That was their best spell, the first three, four minutes. But ultimately, they turned it around, and within five minutes and 48 seconds, it said, nope, you're not actually going to be in this hockey game. 
And we'll talk about Thatcher Demko because, I mean, anytime you get a shutout, obviously we're going to mention the goaltender, but he was good late in the game. I mean, the result wasn't in question, but then it was a question. Will these guys play hard for the goaltender? Will they get it right? How many times have we seen over the years that the Canucks make the one fatal flaw and there goes the shutout? That's right. That wasn't the case in this hockey game. So we'll get around to Demko, but uh, it just feels like on all of these rink wides, uh, maybe not the Philadelphia game, uh, but every other one, Quinn Hughes really has elevated. And he's told us that the players around him, the coaching staff, they all believe it. Like already, he has established such an incredible baseline for himself that you know, I, I don't think any of us really are are blown away or shocked when he does things, but it's just that he seems to have been able to take it to another level and keep it there now through these first seven games. Like It wasn't a game here or a game there. He is absolutely imposing his will on these hockey games. So calm, so collected. The Niedermeyer comparisons... I've heard now a handful of times lately, and I'm starting to see that more and more. I think he's a, a better better edge work than, than Niedermeyer. Niedermeyer might have a little bit better straight-ahead speed. But the, the the game sense, the wisdom seems to be there, and I love the shooty Quinn Hughes. I mean, oh. I, I don't think he's going to be on a three-goal every seven-game pace. <laughs> but could he be a 12 to 15-goal scorer this year? I think that's possible. Jeff, with this newfound enthusiasm to putting the puck towards the net. Well, there's just the amount that he has the puck on his stick. There's no reason that he shouldn't be in double digits. He had seven last year, but remember, he didn't score until Christmas. Right. Didn't score a goal until after Christmas. And I had to look it up here. His second goal last season didn't come until January the 10th. In Pittsburgh, he scored the next game. So his third goal of the season, which he got in this one, mm-hmm. uh, came on Jan 12th. So he is so wow. far ahead. And he finished again with seven no other defenseman had more than three. I mean, it really was one of the stories last year that through two coaches, uh, they just didn't get a whole lot from their back end, and they were the lowest scoring team in the NHL when it came to goals from defensemen. So uh, Hughes already had one. Susie had one. Tyler Meyer scored in Tampa. Yeah, they're up to five now through seven games. Again, they're not going to stay on that kind of pace, but I am so with you that uh, with the opportunities that he creates for himself and now this confidence, this drive, to the net and the shooting to score. I think in the past he was throwing pucks at the net, but you saw it on the opening goal. Just a slight wrist cock, changed the angle, and off the post and in. Now, give Beauvillier, I know people sort of Anthony Beauvillier in the crosshairs, and he's not showing up in the score sheet, but he's the net front presence there. Did a nice job standing his ground, mm-hmm. screening the goaltender, take the eyes away from Bennington, and a perfectly placed shot from Quinn Hughes gets the Canucks going, gets them the start they're looking for, Obviously gets him into this hockey game. And as we found out early in the second period, he was just kind of warming up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, he's so motivated. He's so driven. And I I don't think we can detach. Now, apparently this came in the summer and who knows when they officially told him about, I don't know if you've heard the story, when he officially found out that he was going to be captain of the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, I'm sure the hard work did come first, but I, I can't help but attach the C to what we're seeing here, yep. that that he has got his chest out here. I'm a full-fledged National Hockey Leaguer, and he he's not a, a sophomore. This isn't year two, but he's kind of playing like he's been around for seven or eight years now and unflappable, confident, and uh, trying to dictate hockey games from more than just being your typical offensive defenseman and kind of going on dangerous rushes. 
And again, this goes back to now the week-long debate about how much longer can they go with Roenick and and Hughes. Jeff, they, they keep going as long as it looks like this is I'm the answer. With you. I, I'm totally with you on that one. I, I will admit I didn't like the idea at first, but it's working. Yeah. And it seems to have elevated Quinn Hughes. And we've talked about that, that for too many seasons here, he was on an island and he was getting thrown different partners and they were trying and he was making them better, but not to the level that Philip Ronick is. And right now that pair is in elite company in the National Hockey League. Another night goes by, the team doesn't give up a goal. So obviously they haven't been on the ice yet. Quinn's been on the ice for one goal against seven games into the season. Uh, it really is incredible stuff. And he looks like he's having fun. And I agree with you that, I mean, he, it's leadership personified. Like he he just, he does look like enough of the losing, enough of you know, just wallowing in misery in this market. It's time to shift the culture and he wants to be a part of that. And, and like, I thought he was so good in Florida the other night. He was good in Nashville. And then here again, and, and I mentioned a little earlier, he does this tonight in just over 20 minutes of ice time because they didn't need him in the third period. And so look out New York Rangers because he'll get a good night's sleep in his own bed and right back at it on Saturday, but uh, should have a full tank of gas there. And, you know, you got a break on the second one. Let's be honest, you know, flips a puck in front, get a bounce, but create some luck. I mean, good players get those bounces and he has nothing to apologize for, obviously. Uh, but I love that too. And you remember his first goal last year, because we talked about him taking a while to score. His first goal last year was against San Jose. And I know the Sharks were miserable and they are again this year, but he circled the zone and we've already seen him incorporate that a few times this season. And I just love, like you can see that he senses, he circles high, that he's going to create some space for himself. Opponents aren't quite sure because he's such a dynamic passer. You know, is he going to dish off? And if so, then we better cover the other guys, but that creates some space for him. And then he sees a lane to the net and he just jumps at it. And so I think we're going to continue to see more of that from Quinn Hughes. And whether he's the third best defenseman in the NHL, the fifth <laughs> or the tenth, guess what? He's a Vancouver Canuck and just enjoy that fact because he is the best defenseman this franchise has ever seen. But for those that do want to see the kudos, it's an unfair world. But that goals column is going to help that attention happen. A thousand percent. So, uh, you know, rest assured, and again, it doesn't have to be three goals every seven games. Um, <laughs> you can, as a Canuck fan, know that he does everything. But the league will say, oh, yes, he's very good once they see him at 10 goals, 12, 12 goals, heck, maybe 15 goals on the season. Then he's going to be jumping up tiers in everybody's rankings. It, we will talk about other people in this game because there were others yes. that contributed. But again, just another banner night for for the captain. Uh, before we move on to some of the other scoring plays, there were a couple of things that jumped out at me in the first period. Uh, the shots were 11 nothing. Blues didn't get their first shot until uh, basically nine minutes into this hockey game. And it was kind of funny. There was one time the puck rolled back into the Canucks zone. One of the few times the puck was in their end in that first period. And Thatcher Demko looked like he wanted to play it. Like, just let me touch. Let me touch. And, and whoever the defenseman was went back and fetched it. And you could almost see through the mask. Like, there was sadness. Yes. I want to be a play part of this. Play with me. Yes. yes. Uh, but there were two things. I, I thought just the coolest play. And again, another indication that things are changing with structure and systems and breaking pucks out of their own zone. Face off to the right of Thatcher Demko. Sam Lafferty wins the draw. Hughes takes the puck behind the net to Hoaglander on the sideboards, and he spots Lafferty with open ice, 
And the Canucks went from a defensive zone faceoff to Lafferty essentially creating a breakaway. He got a step on a defender. He deke Bennington, he hit the post. It was still scoreless at that point. But I just thought, like, for all the trouble the Canucks have had getting pucks out of their own zone in recent years, they win a faceoff. Hughes just circles the net, gets it, the quick pass up, and a nice play by Hoagletter because I think it was Beauvillier was also cutting through the middle of the ice, and Hoagletter had that play, but he saw that sort of extra layer of Lafferty building speed, and Lafferty's speed is noticeable. Like it, it just it is. We've seen it, you know, in the seven games very well. played for the Canucks. When he senses some open ice, he's got the Jets to create some things. So I thought that was a, a cool sequence for the Canucks, and also. There was one late in the period where Andre Kuzmenko got absolutely steamrolled. I think it was Jake Neighbors that steamrolled him along the sideboards in the offensive end. And Kuzmenko picked himself up, kind of dusted himself off. Puck came to him, and he deked around a couple of Blues, couldn't get a shot away. And the Blues took the puck and went the other way. And at the end of a long shift in which he had been toppled over, and he was on his horse all the way back on the back check and broke up a centering pass out 10 feet away from Thatcher Demko. I don't want to make too much of it, but just looking for little things that indicate that things are different. You know, I don't know if we ever praised Andre Kuzmenko for a back check at any point last season. He was electric offensively, and you lived with some of his flaws. But I just thought you know, at the end of a shift where you got run over, it would have been pretty easy just to head off the bench and get out of Dodge and wait for the next chance, but stayed out there and hustled. And I'm sure that, you know, again, it was just a small play in a long game where a lot went right for the Canucks. But I think those are the types of things that the coaches certainly will notice when it comes to Kuzmenko's I, game. I'm sure it doesn't feel good to be Andre Kuzmenko and see in the third period of a close game, uh, you're, you're getting three shifts because all of a sudden a guy like Sam Lafferty is deemed to be a better option in the top six to preserve a lead or try to get you back into a hockey game or something. I'm sure Kuzmenko wants to be a more complete player and play right to the final bell and play 18 minutes a game like the big boy. So I, I'm encouraged by that as well. The outlet passes were just good all night. I mean, the Blues were not good, let's no. be honest. But Myers to PDG was exquisite. I mean, the bank pass, we we should know better than to not expect it from Pedersen. Pedersen's pass to Miller to to spring him. I mean, yeah, those those outlet passes, whether they're in the neutral zone or from their own zone, this is a team that's starting to think in 3D just a little bit, and confidence is a hell of a drug, and winning's a hell of a drug, and they're feeling good right now. Late in the game in Nashville the other night, had to kill off two penalties. They got that done. That was different than last year here, and I was so with you. I was thinking all the good work in the first period and only up one nothing. don't. Like, yeah, just, just don't, don't flush please. it. Yeah. And so when Hughes made it 2 nothing, obviously had a bit of breathing room, but the game breaks open when Phil DiGiuseppe, as you said, the headman pass from Tyler Myers and DiGiuseppe showing some hands there. He goes five-hole on Jordan Bennington, got uh, basically between Tory Krug and Nick Letty, and a minute and 10 seconds after Hughes had scored to make it two, uh, now up 3 nothing, and you could kind of feel that the Canucks were cooking with gas at that point. Yeah, PDG had originally been given credit for an assist, I believe. Right, on, they took that, the, the second Hughes goal. Yes, they took it away. So, alas, not a two-point night, no. but I think PDG will take it. Uh, pretty electric goal, and and uh, he continues to be a story. I mean, uh, doing all the little things that he needs to do to remain a fixture on that line. And and I think Ilya Mikheyev, uh, by extension, is starting to look more and more comfortable with his fabulous goal as well. Uh, that line looks to be, I mean, if you're an opposition coach now, 
you know, who are you preparing for? I guess it's probably Micaiah Pedersen and Kuzmenko is probably who sticks out statistically for you. But don't sleep on on Miller, the six-goal Brock Besser who picks up an assist tonight, and this PDG guy who you're going to tell your team if you're the opposition coach, watch out, this guy works. <laughs> and he worked again tonight. Yeah, and, and just the injection of Mikheyev, right? They had tried Garland that hadn't happened. Hoaglander in the preseason. Beauvillier hasn't really earned that opportunity. He may get a look, although now that Mikheyev's back, uh, he's not going anywhere. But uh, the injection of a guy and a guy that hasn't taken long. And and we talked about this the other night as well, that for Mikheyev and for any returning player coming off a, you know, what could have been a catastrophic injury, you probably wonder a little bit in the back of your mind, like how long is it going to take me to get up to speed? All those types of things. You know, if a guy goes five or eight games without scoring, he's wondering, like, am I contributing? When's it going to... So for Mikheyev to score twice in three games back now and have a point in each of them, like... I think he can feel really good about where, and it's only going to get better from here for him. Well, let me ask you this. Like, he was totally fine. He wasn't great, but he was fine last year. He was a half point per game, basically, on a bum knee. knee. He's picking up points now. Like, he's not slow. But is he McKayev fast yet? Have you noticed that? I don't think so. No. There have been a few bursts here and there, and I've watched him in practice, and it certainly doesn't look like he is hampered. And it's interesting, too, that uh, this one on October 27th, exactly nine months from that last time he had played at Rogers Arena, which was January 27th, he got shut down after that. He scored that night as well. Like his game's only going to grow, and I think. As he but it might like, take him a full year to get to electric yeah. lightning speed. Like for people that well, didn't watch him looks- a lot in the Leaf uniform, he was amongst the handful of fastest guys in the league. Yeah. And I don't think we've noticed that yet. And I think we'd notice it if it was there. But good on him at seventy five percent speed to still be this effective a player. And. At some point, he's going to take on some penalty killing duties. Yeah. Oh, and Teddy Bluger is going to come back into this lineup and help the penalty yeah. kill. Not the penalty kill needs a time. I mean, the penalty kill scored the only goal in this hockey game. And we saw JT Miller and Elias Pettersson do a ton of that under Rick Tockett down the stretch last year. First shorthanded goal of the season for the Vancouver Canucks. And that made it 4 nothing. came quickly on the heels of the DiGiuseppe goal. And at that point, uh, Canucks were off to the races. McKayev scores to make it 5-zip, and that's how it finishes. Canucks have won three in a row. Uh, again, I hearken back to last season. At some point, we will turn the page, but just comparing and trying to get a sense of just how different things are, took the Canucks until their final three games of the month of November to string together three straight victories last year. So here they get out of October, or don't even get to the end of October because they've got two games left. And they've won three in a row. They're five and two on the season. They're two and zero oh at Rogers Arena, and just a, a whole lot of good vibes. And it was fun in the building as it was on opening night. And so we'll see where it goes. They're not going to win them all. It's a professional sports. So somewhere along the line, they'll hit a hiccup. But uh, certainly, a lot of indications just in the way that they're playing, the confidence they've got, and you get Thatcher Demko dialed in. And again, they didn't need him to be sensational. And the workload wasn't heavy, 19 to 3 in the first period, but on the night, the shots were 35 22. But Thatcher Demko made a great stop off Jordan Cairo on the first shot he faced in the third period. Cairo got into the slot and had a good look, and Jordan Cairo has scored some goals in the NHL. Like, that's one of the most dangerous players on the other side. And Thatcher Demko stared him down. And then moments later, Luke Shen, or Luke Shen, Braden Shen, 
Uh, got some speed in behind the defense, moving to his left. And again, Demko, when he's in that groove, he just makes goaltending look easy, as most of the the great ones do. And there was an economy to his, the movement of the motion. And for him to pick up a shot, he only had one shutout all of last season, and it came late against a behind crappy, that defense. You don't say <laughs> against a crappy Chicago Blackhawks team that wasn't scoring a lot of goals. Uh, the Blues were shutout winners the previous night. Tables turned here. And 5 nothing is the final rink-wide Vancouver, a presentation of Bodog. A Bodog line of the night. Let's take a look at uh, some opposition that is forthcoming for the Vancouver Canucks, the Nashville Predators. They only play them on Tuesdays, don't you know? Mm-hmm. They played them on last Tuesday. They'll play them this Tuesday at home at Rogers Arena. Nashville's hosting Toronto tomorrow night. Uh, the Leafs coming in, uh, winners of three in a row. They're three and one away from home, but all that's got to come to an end. And if you're a Canucks fan, you probably want Nashville to feel a little bit better about itself so they don't feel desperate when they arrive at Rogers Arena. So let's go with the Preds at plus uh, 125 at home to take down the Leafs. Now, I know we mentioned them, but I feel like this is becoming a theme too on these post-game podcasts that we do. Elias Patterson picks up a couple of points. It's his fifth multi-point game of the season, and yet I, I find it pretty quiet around Elias Pettersson, and I see yeah. that as the highest compliment to him, that he's up to 12 points on the season. You know there are going to be those nights where he is the best player on the ice, although the way Quinn Hughes is going, it's going to take something special to be the best player on the ice. But uh, I kind of like the fact that you, know, you and I break down this game here. We're, what, 15 or 20 minutes into our analysis. Barely mentioned Pettersson and barely mentioned JT Miller. Both of them are your typical top six star centers right now in that they are economical, they're efficient, they're not extending themselves beyond what they need to do. It it just seems sort of clinical, everything that they're doing right now. Um, Although you got to give JT Miller credit, he has scored a bunch of breakaway goals in his career. For a guy that does not have blazing speed, he has great anticipation of when go now, that guy will the, the timing for my teammate to get the puck, it'll be perfect. And he did it again. He he sprung loose, knew that Elias Patterson would be able to feed him the puck, and 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 off he goes. But you're right. I, I don't know that it was a dominant performance by either of them, but this is what point getters do is on just good nights, they pick up multiple points. Yep. Like, how do you think Dreisaitl and McDavid <laughs> get to 160 points on the season? It means on average nights, they're getting one to two points. And it seems mean to call this an average night, but I, you're right. I mean, they, were, they weren't spectacular. I think we'd, we'd pick out on, on Hughes or Mikheyev or PDG over, over them in terms of the spectacular tonight, although, the, again, the breakaway goal was nice. But that's what you want down the middle. And it's, again, it's heartening. And I think for JT Miller... You know, I still hear people buzzing about, oh, is he the bad guy in the room? And do him and Elias Pettersson get along? And and I think that at various points in their relationship, I think that has been true. And I haven't heard any update of, oh, no, they're much better now. But I do wonder if uh, if they have gotten to the point, the two of them, and JT Miller in particular, where, okay, maybe I, I need to make a change here. Maybe I need to adjust how I operate in the world here. Because, I mean, has there been any swearing fits that you can remember here through seven games? I mean, winning definitely stops that, but we haven't seen anything resembling that, anything coming close to the border of a JT Miller hissy fit. I can't help but think he's had a bit of a come to Jesus moment here of, okay, I'm going to turn things around here and and maybe I'll be more effective and boom, look at what's happened. He's been more effective. 
Well, he and Pedersen are both at a dozen points through seven games, so they're tied for the team lead. And the other thing is they got power plays tonight, but the power play didn't score. It went 0-4. And the team as a whole has six power play goals through seven games. So there's been some production, but three of them came on opening night against the Oilers. There's going to be some more nights like that. Like we talk about production and the fact that Pedersen's had five multi-point nights in the seven outings already this season. Really, it's been primarily at even strength here tonight, uh, the Miller goal shorthanded. But there's going to be those nights, and you talk about like the 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 super superstars in this league, and how do they get crazy point totals? Of course, so much of it is padded by power play production, so that's going to come. I mean, the Canucks have the component parts; we know that, and they had the one big night on opening night, so I have no doubt that there will be more. But in the here and now, both Miller and Pedersen have got to a dozen points early in the season primarily doing it at five on five. It's just good hockey and they're not banking on special teams. I haven't seen what this game does. Were they out shooting their expected goals a little bit coming in? They were a little bit. Um, but I think that was really sunk those numbers by games two, three, and four in the season. Um, I, I'd like to, and I haven't done this yet. I should do this tomorrow maybe is, you know, take a look at those stats during wins only and compare it team to team. But get a read on, are the wins lucky wins or are the wins earned wins? Who cares what you do in losses? A loss is a loss. But to see whether or not your your value for your wins or are you an imposter, look at the wins. And, and there's obviously game two, yeah. an imposter win there. But everything else, pretty legit. Yeah. The only other one was they were hanging on against Florida, but they had built a 3-1 lead. Panthers tied it at three, and certainly the ice was tilted. But they didn't, they bent, they didn't break. But the Canucks responded and yeah. got the win there. So, yeah, I agree with you. Through seven games, really, it was the game in Edmonton. You knew there was going to be a response from the Oilers. There was. They scored early. Uh, they were all over the Canucks. But give Casey DeSmith some credit there. Uh, we know that the Canucks certainly have added to the Oilers. I mean, they kind of started uh, the Oilers' misery with the, the back-to-back wins. But no, nah, I'm with you. I think really game two kind of stands out as... And every once in a while, if it's one every 12 games, your goalie's allowed to steal you a game. Absolutely. Yep. So you don't you don't be ashamed of that. Didn't need the goaltender to steal this one, but uh, their goalie gets a shutout. Thatcher Demko posts the goose egg. The Canucks with a 5 nothing victory over the St. Louis Blues. You're listening to Rink-Wide Vancouver. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Breaking down this 5 0 victory, the Vancouver Canucks over the St. Louis Blues. It's Jeff, it's Blank, it's Rink Wide Vancouver. I should mention, and I was blown away because it's so early in the season, I walked into. The press level at Rogers Arena for this one, mm-hmm. the seating chart, 
it was overflowing with NHL scouts Interesting. on a Friday night. And I wonder if it's just as simple as there's two games this weekend. Yes. So it's an easy opportunity. I think there were 17 different teams by my count. And I, I don't think you can read too much into it. They weren't all here to see Connor Garland or anything no, like that. No. I, I, I know that the BC Hockey League had it showcased down in Seattle and all 32 teams were represented. So I think there were a ton of scouts in the area, mm-hmm. whether they're amateur scouts, pro Usually scouts. Usually different department, yeah. So I think I'd say there. But whatever the case, the Kraken have been out of town. Uh, the Oilers and the Flames aren't playing until the Heritage Classic. And so it just kind of felt like a perfect storm. If you were going into Vancouver, there were two games. Now, yeah. maybe teams can't get enough of the Vancouver Canucks these days. Maybe these scouts wanted to see for themselves what everybody was talking about with Quinn Hughes and the Vancouver Canucks. But it was uh, Brad Richardson, the former Canuck. Uh, twice, in fact, a former Canuck. Uh, he's now a scout for the Calgary Flames. Mm. But uh, he was there among others. And the other thing, too, and I, I, I try to make this point clear whenever I talk about scouts in the press box, there are so many guys that are based in Vancouver yes. that work for other teams that are there every night. So the fact that Tampa had somebody in the building, I'm just using Tampa as an example, Tampa's got a scout that lives in Vancouver. He goes to most of the games at Rogers. And especially out of division games, like they know that they'll get another look at a bunch of Pacific division teams. And I guess to a large degree, the central division too, in the case of the St. Louis blues, but you're right. If you're going to go and you get to see a rare spot of the New York Rangers uh, paying a visit tomorrow, you might as well come see the blues tonight as well. So here they are. Well, they, uh, had to be impressed with what they saw from the, the Vancouver Canucks as uh, the Canucks continue to roll here up to 5-2 and two on the season. Some individual numbers just want to get to. Uh, we've talked about uh, lowering ice times because of uh, the fact that it's back-to-back and they had the luxury. Quinn Hughes plays 20 minutes and 41 seconds. That was tops on the team. Everybody got to double figures, so nobody was left behind in this hockey game. But where Hughes and Hironic have been absolute workhorses for the Canucks, uh, light night for Phil Hironic, just 18 minutes and 50 seconds of ice time. Ian Cole was second on the team uh, in terms of his workload against the St. Louis Blues. And did I hear uh, Rick Tockett in his postgame say that it was 10 minutes for Hughes in the first period? So it's close to that, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, clearly first period heavy and, and then quite light then over the second and the third, which is nice. Well, and I mean, the Canucks, all four of their power plays started in the first period, yeah. one carried over. So, yeah, a lot of power play time there, not so much the rest of the way. Uh, again, we've marveled at Quinn Hughes and his shot output, four shots on goal, eight attempts, scored twice. So he is putting a ton of pucks towards the net. But Ilya Mikheyev with the big night, uh, not only the goal, he scored uh, once on six shots on goal. So uh, he had the puck on his stick a lot in the offensive end. Just looking at the underlying numbers, absolutely <laughs> tilted towards the Canucks. Mm-hmm. And these are five-on-five five numbers per natural stat trick. Uh, Canucks control 86, or, sorry, 68 and a half uh, of all the shot attempts in this hockey game, so up almost 70% in terms of Team Corsi 4. Uh, the shots were 28 to 12 at even strength. The scoring chances 21 to 8, and the high dangers were 11 to 3. And so that's the eye test. Those are the numbers that all kind of matched up in this one. And the underlying stats, darling, Mark Friedman. Yeah. Which I know it's a 5 nothing win, but, you know, he needs to know what that feels like too, what it feels like to, to not be caved in. And 24 to 3 in Corsi and uh, shots 15 to 3. So pretty tidy night for the newly acquired Mark Friedman. You mentioned the coach. We'll hear from him here in a sec. But I want to take a moment to talk about uh, our friends at 
the Applewood Auto Group. And there's so many good deals, if you can believe it, even if you're leasing or financing, like you can get the 2023 QX50 leased from 3.49%. Yeah, seriously. Or the 2023 QX60 from 2.99%. And it's all at Applewood Infinity in Richmond. And uh, great deals on EVs at Applewood Kia and Surrey and Langley. Get the EVs and the EV6. They're currently in stock. It's all good at Applewood. Yeah, it's all good around the Vancouver Canucks these days. And uh, Rick Tockett has to be loving this. He was brought in to affect change for this hockey club. We wondered about uh, the midseason coaching change when they had a chance to be in the Conor Bedard sweepstakes. That's water under the bridge. The offshoot, though, was the thinking was get the coaching change done when you did so that he could implement his systems last year, hit the ground running for training camp. And right now... Uh, forget about last year and Bedard, and that was a missed opportunity for the organization to have the bottom fall out. But if it is, in fact, trying to turn this thing and move it in the right direction, it does look like some of that has paid off for the Canucks because they are playing talking hockey the way that he wants them to. And one of the things that he absolutely loved in this game was the zone time and the fact that the Canucks extended plays and continued to apply pressure on the St. Louis Blues. Puck retrievals is, is uh, anticipation and people being in the right spots. And I think, um, like I said, this, that first period is as good as I've seen our team when it comes to that. Um, when you guys take shots and guys are standing around there on their heels, you don't pick up those, those loose pucks. It, that's when you're one and done. Um, and we talked about that. I thought really in the trip we were one and done out there and I felt we were kept plays a lot not in every line it wasn't just one line everybody everybody participated in that but yeah retrievals five on five power players so big you know it just extends those all the time then the other team's tired uh you keep them on the ice um and you know we've been working on that though in practice like I, I like I said the players have bought in and they're doing a great job with it and we gotta keep doing it yeah, hard to argue with the, the coach that uh, the Canucks did a lot of that and, and power plays. It's not always about tic-tac-toe and putting the puck in the net. It's grinding teams down. And that was one of the things. When the Blues were killing all those penalties in the first period, you weren't seeing a lot of Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas and some of their better off, Pavel Busnevich. They just didn't get into this hockey game. So in other games this year where the Canucks have lamented the fact that they haven't had a lot of power play time, it kind of cuts both ways. One is it doesn't get your stars into the flow and the power play, touching the puck a lot early on, giving yourself an opportunity. But also, even if you're not scoring, you're taxing the other team, you're wearing them down, and you're forcing them to adjust to game situations that they probably don't want to be in, particularly early in the hockey game. And, and Butchnevich took a hooking penalty 17 sec- like right off the bat, 17 seconds into this thing. And the Canucks got a chance to work on the power play. But one thing begets the other too, right? Like uh, you, what starts as just moving your feet turns into a power play, turns into puck retrievals and never say die. And then come the third period at five on five. I mean, they were whipping the puck around. Like I'm not saying Sedine level, but it, I mean, they were whipping the puck around and everybody seemed to be on the same page it's the old offense comes from defense. It's offense coming from uh, relentlessness in this case, really. And it is Rick talk at hockey. Um, you know, I don't think uh, new age hockey people should bristle at that. 
turning pucks over, that's progressive, that's old school, that's that's just hockey. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it's, that's all schools. Whatever your school is, it allows you to re, redo it without actually having to go 200 feet backwards, of course, and and get restarted. So um, there's a lot of commitment, a lot of commitment to, to keep plays alive by the Vancouver Canucks right now. And uh, I was down low today, as people may have noticed on, on television. Uh, one, and I love, far prefer to be up top. But one thing that was interesting, and there's one guy in particular that I noticed this of, is the face of Elias Pettersson as play whipped past him. Okay, offensive four, he didn't go the other way. Blues going the other way. The face of Pettersson, of, okay, got to get on my horse. I've already been out here for 30 seconds, but I got to follow the puck all the way back. And it's just sort of that embodied the relentlessness of this team right now, the buy-in of this team to to work hard. You got to commit to working hard. Playing complete hockey, it's hard. You have, you have, to, you have to commit to it. You have to be all in both feet. And right now, and, and I'm not saying this goes for 82 games just yet because there are ebbs and flows, there are peaks and valleys in the season. But right now, at the very least, this team is committed and they're buying in. We'll still get to our three stars of this hockey game, the stat that stands out. Oh, look, a lot going right for the Vancouver Canucks. And on a night like this, everybody is an underlying stats darling. I mean, they absolutely dominate yeah. the St. Louis yeah. Blues. I, I'm sort of of the opinion that nobody is slumping when a team is winning that there are guys that aren't producing points, but I think guys can go home right now and feel good about themselves in the team framework because they're winning. It's when they're not winning, if some of those same players still aren't producing. It's a storyline, but it's a storyline that is being superseded right now by the star players that are stepping up and producing the Quinn Hughes, the Thatcher Demko, Petey and Miller, and those guys like the underlying numbers tonight, terrific for Dakota Joshua. He's not on the ice for a, a shot against in this game. Nils Hoaglander spent most of his night in the offensive zone and getting under the skin. Garland, Suter, on and on it goes. But at some point, this team, I mean, they had the one night in Edmonton where they did get some production from some of those guys lower in the lineup, but you know, we're seven games now for the Vancouver Canucks and Anthony Beauvillier in a contract year is supposed to be a guy that creates and he had four shots on goal. So maybe he's overdue at some point here to have something good happen for him. But did any of the bottom six really jump out at you in this hockey game? Joshua's presence and willingness to go to the tough areas was still there. We talked about Lafferty's chance. Yeah. And, and his speed is noticeable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Suter's, you know, almost got into a fight. And, you know, there was <laughs> some moxie. I think those Holglander at times. I mean, they're little things. It seems it's hard to judge zero counting stats in a game that it was just, it was a bit of a laugher for the team in, in some ways. Um, but I think what you do want to make sure is that individually those guys are still building in their own minds that they walk away from the rink saying, okay, glad we got to win, but I'm going to be even better still next time around because yeah, there's going to be a night where JT Miller and Elias Pettersson are not multi-point getters and they're going to need some help. They're perilously close to being called out on shows like this for mm-hmm. lack of production. The the zeros beside Anthony Beauvillier and Pew Suter need to stop. Like yep. they didn't need to stop tonight. But they will, they're going to need to fill in those gaps pretty darn soon. Yeah. 
Well, we'll see what happens for them on Saturday against the Rangers. Again, Canucks had enough at the top of the lineup to easily handle the St. Louis Blues 5-0 the final. You're listening to Rink-Wide Vancouver. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Breaking down a fun Friday night at Rogers Arena as the Canucks defeat the St. Louis Blues 5 to nothing. We've talked about team performance and individual performances as well. Uh, let's carry on with the individual theme here and we'll get to the rink wide Vancouver three star selection. I, I like to compare against what was. Uh, chosen in the building, we've differed here on Rinkwide from the, and of course, the Canucks are out on the road, and sometimes you see some home cooking in yes, some of those buildings. Yes. But I think we match the stars here on Rinkwide that were selected by the Sportsnet television crew. Uh, no doubt in my mind, Thatcher Demko will figure in this, mm-hmm. but Quinn Hughes gets the nod again. We've talked about him elevating his game, and I've got him as elevated as you can in the three-star selection. I've got Hughes as, as my first star. You know, we in a lot of these, a lot of these goals. He only scored three, but um, you know, he he's been working on his shot, and yet it doesn't have to be a howitzer. You know, he's just feeding the puck some of these times, and it's finding its way uh, into the back of the net. So it's smart shots as much as it's an improved shot. I've got Demko as the second star, and again, he wasn't busy in the first period, but in some ways that put a little bit of pressure on him, knowing that. The Blues were going to be better in the second. It was still a one nothing hockey game. There were some stops there. It was a Buchnevich at the end of the power play that rang one off the crossbar. I think that was as close as a puck got to beating Thatcher Demko on the night. But uh, I think a, a night like this will just do wonders for his confidence. I mean, he's playing like he's already uh, a very confident guy. And we know when he's on top of his game, he is among the best in the National Hockey League. But uh, this will be a nice boost for him. So I've got Thatcher Demko as star number two. And he gets the shutout. Uh, they didn't let go uh, in the third period and mess up his stats either. Because even if they win 5-2, to two, it's an easy win. But poor Demko's stats don't reflect how he's played necessarily. So he gets the goose egg, his save percentage up to 936 on the season. And I got JT as the third star. I looked at Elias Pettersson. He had a couple of points. But Miller with three points on the night. He has the goal, the shorty. And also a couple of helpers uh, on the second Hughes goal and the De Giuseppe goal as well. So three points for JT Miller, who had, remember at one point he had five on opening night, and then they took one away. But Mm -hmm. uh, he's had a four-point night and a three-point night in the two home games so far this season. He's scoring in bunches, and that's okay too. Just to have two legitimate scoring lines. Um, You know, the curse of any team on the playoff bubble is being a one-line team. How many times have we said that about the Canucks or about other teams this is at least a two-line team, at the very least. So the rink-wide Vancouver three stars match the ones in the building. Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, and JT Miller. It's interesting. So often when a goalie gets a shutout, you think, oh, there's no way that the coach can go away from him. Conventional hockey wisdom. You come right back with the guy that's holding the hot hand. But Rick Tockett laid out his goaltending plans for the weekend. Casey DeSmith expected to get the start against the Rangers on Saturday. And I think that they'll stick with that because of the back-to-backs. Although... Yeah, you know, if ever there was a game and Demko wasn't busy, 
There's no travel here. I think he could. And I, at the outset of the season, when I looked at the schedule and the fact that these are the first back-to-backs, I, I kind of thought that there was a pretty good chance that we would see Thatcher Demko in both the ends of this at home. But I think Casey DeSmith has shown that uh, he's earned some starts here, that there's confidence in him and the way that he plays. So I will anticipate that uh, we see DeSmith, they stick with that and arrested Thatcher Demko can come back and try and beat the Nashville Predators for the second time in a week. I, I don't know about you. I, I think this makes sense, though. And I think we saw this laid out in the way that the Canucks handled their goaltending last weekend as well, that the Nashville game was more important than the Florida game. Nashville's a conference opponent and a pretty good chance that the Canucks are going to be in the neighborhood of the Nashville Predators for much of the season. Like, yeah. I think people are, you know, if everything goes right, they can both kind of be factors and they've got strong goaltending and those types of things. So I I figured that Casey DeSmith after the Edmonton game was going to get another start on the road trip. But I think when you looked at the importance of the games that made sense to play DeSmith in Florida, not that those are throwaway games, but the tail end of the road trip, a Nashville game, that ultimately could mean more if you beat the Predators straight up. And the same thing here. St. Louis is the conference opponent. The Rangers aren't. And every game matters. But I think you want to throw your fastball at a conference opponent and take the two points the way the Canucks did and then take your chance. Like, put the two points in the bag and take your chances on Saturday against the Rangers. Remember, it used to be absolutely verboten to play your backup on Saturday night. Like there was coaches that just, you just, you did not do that. Even though when it stared you in the face for it to be a backup. And is this the third? This will be his third start. Yeah. yeah. Third, I mean, at third Saturday. I mean, like yeah. to me, that's akin to like a Belichick sort of move of like, you know, changing a formation. Like I don't think Rick Tuck is the most progressive coach by any stretch of the imagination. But for a guy that's old school, that actually is really progressive. Like that was that used to not be a thing. But of course, it's just the, everything you described is exactly the right thing, which is I think why they're doing it. And I think they were kind of upfront about that to, uh, today or yesterday when, when he was talking about it. It's great to see some common sense, some logic, some 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 true thought and foresight being used in this organization because it was not long ago those sorts of decisions were not being made. With that in mind, so it's great. All right, before we get to the stat that stands out, let's talk about a partner of ours here at Rinkwide that stands out, and that, of course, is the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, You know what? The Canucks just feel good at home, and and don't we all feel good at home? We want to stay at home. That means getting the best mortgage so you can keep up with those payments and that sort of thing, and it is a wild, woolly climate out there for mortgages. Make some sense of it by going to jason.mortgage, talking with Jason Hominick, and let him hash it out with you. Maybe your situation is planning on changing sometime soon. Maybe you want to be locked in into this house for years to come. Whatever it is, talk it over with Jason. He'll come up with a game plan for you. Or maybe you just want to get equity out of your house. He can help you with that as well. Go to jason.mortgage. All right, the stat that stands out for me from this hockey game, and I was looking at this prior to the puck drop, that Jordan Bennington, there's kind of this love-hate relationship uh, with, I think, Vancouver fans, probably a lot of fans actually, around the National Hockey League uh, with Bennington, who we know uh, when he's on the top of his game is excellent. He helped the Blues win the Stanley Cup in 2019, uh, finished runner-up to Elias Pettersson, rookie of the year. Uh, But the Canucks have never beaten Jordan Bennington in regulation time in the regular season prior to this. Now, they certainly 
uh, changed that storyline with the five nothing victory. Of course, they beat him like a drum in the bubble in the playoffs, and numbers were just brutal. I think he was zero and three with an eight hundred save percentage in those postseason appearances. And we all remember they were the defending champs then. There was sort of a story that, uh, you know, of all the years to be the defending champ, pretty hard to get up for the most unique circumstance we've ever seen right. play it in. Yeah. And, you know, not the same feeling of getting to defend in front of your own crowd. And, all that. and, and I think there was some truth to that. But uh, the Blues weren't very good. Give the Canucks credit for what they did. They got to Bennington in the playoffs. They certainly had beaten him in regulation there. I think two of the three were in regulation and one in overtime. Uh, but they had never defeated him in regulation time until this one on Friday night. So Fans were uh, letting him have it a little bit too. Yeah. yeah. I actually thought, you know, he's a guy that's pretty emotional and sometimes tries to fire up his team. And I thought maybe at some point we were going to see a little bit of that. But I think he also had to know that they played last night. Joel Hoford played last night, that this was pretty much his game. Like, I don't think that Baruby was going to lift him at any point. No. That, he had to take the lumps, and uh, and he did, and so did the guys in front of him. Canucks uh, fire 35 shots at Bennington and score on five of them. So this is a confident Vancouver team now that turns around, and sometimes you would think, oh, back-to-backs, that's going to be trouble and taxing, and we've touched on the fact that they were able to spread it up, spread the ice time. But I also think, like, right now, the way the Canucks are playing, you just look at this as an opportunity to get right back to work and do what you love to do, and five and two is great, but you know what's better? Six and two, if you can beat the New York Rangers, who were in town. They were skating this afternoon. Their management crew and their coaching staff was at the game watching uh, from up high. Uh, you know, so they are rested, but I think the Canucks are feeling pretty damn good about themselves, and so they should with the record that they've got. So Rangers on a Saturday night should be some fun. Looked at last year, and post 5 and 2, Canucks picked up their socks a little bit. But the old uh, Ken Holland adage... U.S. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. They had seven wins at U.S. Thanksgiving. So that's like a month from now almost. Yeah. They could be at six 24 hours from now. They could be one off of that before Halloween. And they'll have a chance to equal it before Halloween if they get that one. But it's hard to believe. that, And it doesn't seem crazy to ask that of them to get to six wins. And they'll be that much. You're talking about being ahead of the pace. Um, and, and make no bones about it. We understand they were in what 83 point team last year. So they have to be ahead of the pace, but they are remarkably ahead of the pace now. And they have a chance to add to it based on the way that they're playing. And you're right. The, the, it's, it's a little bit tougher to continue momentum if you got two days off, but they're going to have memories of this game when they take to the ice tomorrow night versus the New York Rangers. And that's a good thing. And you're also right that not only did they spread the ice time around now, but while they were on a long road trip, it was very the the, uh, the travel agent was very kind to them, booking days off in between and multiple days off on a couple of occasions, and and at the end of the trip here too. I don't think they should be that tired. Just as a general rule, never mind the fact that they were able to spread out the ice uh, tonight. So there's a, a real opportunity to go out there and put one on the Rangers as well. Yeah, what a difference a year makes. Oh five and two through seven last year, five and two with ten points from their. For seven hockey games here on a Friday night, Quinn Hughes with a pair, Phil DiGiuseppe 
JT Miller, Ilya McKay of the goal scorers, and Thatcher Demko, 22 saves for the shutout. Rinkwide Vancouver, a presentation of Bodog Canada's Choice for casino games, poker tips, and sports odds. We talk about it being so much fun. The Canucks will go right back at it against the Rangers, and we'll be back with another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver after that game on Saturday night. So enjoy this pod, and we'll be back with another one following the Canucks and Rangers at Rogers Arena. This is Rinkwide Vancouver.